0: hey what's going on guys welcome to another episode of mike force today we're talking about responsible citizen man look i feel like i it weighs on me a little bit talking about this and i've been dreaming and thinking about this on a daily basis since the idea populated in my head and i've been feeling weight because i've been feeling bad i started Phil craft seven years ago almost 2015 with this idea of better preparing yourself And then that evolved into better preparing your family. And I I always want people to be advocates for their community, but I never mentioned that you should take care of your community until recently. But even outside of your community, the idea of responsible citizen has to do with taking care of each other, period. On a human level. Man, on a human level. So when I was raised growing up in... North Carolina and Florida, I was taught from a very young age that if somebody's in distress, if somebody needs help, you should lend that help. And throughout my years of life, even even as a young man, a teenager, I remember running to the scenes of accidents. Hell, I remember in Fayetteville, North Carolina, when I played football, hearing an accident from half a mile away. And I heard what sounded like screeching tires and then the crunch metal on metal colliding and knew it was an accident. At the time, I was in my mom's beauty salon, which was part of our home, and ran out immediately, put shoes on, ran out immediately, and started running towards the scene of the accident. After minutes, really minutes, nobody had done anything about it. First responders, which have an average reaction time of minutes, 12 to infinity, depending on where you're located, they weren't there. People were driving around the scene of the accident going 45 plus miles an hour, merely feet off a completely totaled set of vehicles. And I was dumbfounded by this. As I approached the vehicle, I realized that there was a child in the back of the vehicle. And the woman in front was slumped over and she was unconscious. So I went to go in the vehicle, but the doors were locked and the window was rolled up. I smashed the window with my hand, which hurt my hand pretty bad, cut and lacerated my hand. And then I went to open the door and because of the door being crunched because of the impact of the accident, it wouldn't come pried open. Then I turned around and then there was this guy I recognized from football. His name was Travis. At the time he was the same age as me, which was 15, 16. We played football together. Travis, like me, being six foot tall, was a big strapping lad. Uh, he was an African American kid. I was a Asian American kid, but we were football players. We were athletes. But I, looking back on it now, went, "Oh man, you know what? What made him stop? Why was this ingrained in him?" Long story short, we started prying open the door together, working together to get it unlatched and undone. We got inside the vehicle, and when I went inside the vehicle, the lady was coming out of her unconsciousness, and she was just dazed and confused, and she started screaming for her kid. And I actually remember shaking her a little bit, which in hindsight was probably silly, but trying to bring her back to reality and say, hey, you're good, you're okay, you're going to make it, your child's okay. Her young infant son was fine. My knees were inside of the passenger seat where the glass had shattered from me breaking it and my knees were lacerated and I was bleeding. In fact, when the first responders showed up minutes later, they thought I was in the accident and tried to treat me, but I was okay. I remember walking home, telling my mom there was an accident, cleaning up my my lacerations, just going about my life. But that had a profound impact on me. Although I didn't witness the specific trauma, I knew as a standard procedure in my life that whenever there was an accident, Whenever there was somebody in need, I was going to help because I couldn't live with myself not helping. And many people don't help, right? Recently, I posted a video on Philcraft Survival, my company's Instagram account, at Philcraft Survival. And there's a video of this child walking in front of adults. And this is all a canned scenario. It's all set up. The adults, unbeknownst to them, or being set up in a scenario where an oncoming or incoming person walking the opposite direction would snatch the child up and run off into an alleyway. So they had the timing right to where they would grab the child, snatch the child aggressively, and then run into the alleyway. And then the person witnessing it would have a choice. And what I was dumbfounded by was the lack of responsibility in these citizens that witnessed a young child being snatched off the streets of a city, and broad daylight. In one instance, the lady who's on her phone, she's looking down, staring at her phone, texting with both hands, must have been important, and the child gets snatched up, and she sees it. She sees it happen, even tracks with her eyes as they run off into a dark alleyway, and seems annoyed, and goes straight back to her phone to continue her texting. Must have been important, huh? So when I think about responsible citizens, part of it is us and our responsibility to pay attention to what's around us. Two weeks ago, tragically, three women were killed right across the street from my business in Heber City, Utah. I'll set the stage for you. It's an afternoon, beautiful sunny afternoon. 5:30 in the afternoon. Sun's pretty high in Utah at 5:30. Plenty of daylight. Two lanes of traffic going one way with a median, but the median doesn't have any obstacles in it. It's a turning lane, but also a median, so solid lines and dotted lines followed by two other lanes pretty significant major highway running out of provo running eastbound headed up into heber city utah the jeep gladiator driven by a female is driving eastbound and passes through the intersection right across from Philcraft hq the speed limit is 60 goes from 65 to 55 to 45 but she's still in a 60-ish mile per hour zone and starts to decelerate for unknown reasons as she passes through the intersection ford pickup truck behind her rear ends her and to avoid collision clips her and sends her into oncoming traffic sideways two 18 year old girls driving the opposite direction they're heading westbound towards provo collides with a jeep at full speed going 60 plus miles an hour i look for skid marks there aren't any So imagine it happened so fast. Talking to first responders who I'm friends with, they said they would have had to been extracted, which means that the vehicle itself and the pillars, the A, B, and C pillars, the place where people sit in vehicles was compromised, which is just an obvious indication that it was a catastrophic front-end collision. Now, what's not known is whether or not the girls were conscious or unconscious in the Jeep or in the Trailblazer, but the cars burst into flames and those three young women died on the side of a highway, 5.30 in the afternoon because of a set of circumstances, including a tipping point, that happened tragically. So whose fault is it? I don't know. They didn't charge the guy with the tr- in the pickup truck who rear ended the girl. The vehicle, which was the gladiator that burst into flames initially, burst into flames, which was rare. And the two girls heading in the opposite direction didn't have the time uh, nor the ability to avoid the collision. Who was on scene? I often wonder that. I often ask myself in kind of this context and understanding is like, what would I have done? Well, I know I would have tried to get those girls out of that vehicle, even at the detriment of me burning to the ground myself. I've done it before. And this, this isn't an egotistical party, but I've done that. I've been on the scene of an accident where a motorhome was on fire and the guy was running around the motorhome panicking while his wife, their dogs, and their cats were still on the motorhome. And he looked at me, panicked, my wife's still on the motorhome, and I ran inside of a burning motorhome to pull his wife, his dogs, and one of his cats out out of the motorhome before it burned to the ground. I even thought about sacrificing myself for the last cat, which tragically perished, but I thought about risking my life for it, but decided last minute not to because the flames were too intense. And I knew that the chances of a propane or gas tank exploding were high because of the rate of flames and heat, so I didn't do it. And I even think about that and go, man... Could I have gotten her out? Tragically, I had a buddy in special operations whose house was on fire. Him and his wife got out of the house realizing their daughters, their two young daughters, had not gotten out of the house. And so he was a Green Beret. He ran back into the house to save them. He never came out. He perished with his daughters tragically. I'm not trying to paint a tragic picture here. What I'm trying to paint is the reality of the lives that we live every single day. These things transpire every single day. In our country, 93 people a day die in vehicle accidents. So many more die in tragic accidents, period. Besides cancer, cardiovascular disease, heart attacks, mostly from obesity, mostly from not eating proper, accidents is number two. So the question is when dealing with this kind of thing, it's not what you could do for yourself or your family, because that's a no brainer. You should be preparing for that. But it's what are you going to do for others? How are you going to take care of other people around you? Uh, this weekend, uh, which was last Saturday, I had the opportunity to train 33 women in an all-women's self-defense course. I was always kind of on the fence about the self-defense and all-women's concept because I'm like, why would I isolate women when self-defense is common to all? Everybody should be better prepared. What I failed to realize in being educated by phenomenal women around me is that women have different considerations when defending themselves, and it's so true. So there's an inherent biological difference between men and women. One of the obvious ones is height, weight, and strength. So when you take a woman who's 120 pounds against me, I'm 240 pounds, I'm twice the size of the average woman. What kind of damage could I inflict on that woman as a violent offender or criminal? How much could I take advantage of that circumstance? I don't care what woman knows, UFC, MMA, Jiu-Jitsu, Krav Maga, whatever the skill set, is it enough to fend a large male hell bent on conducting an act of violence? The answer is no, it's not enough. So, what is the way that you can get the one up, balance the playing fields? What happens to be a lot of things. It's not just the pistol in the waistband, even though that's one, it's situational awareness, self awareness, it's deliberate tactics, it's everyday carry, it's paying attention to your environment. All of these things create this idea of being better prepared as a woman, and the considerations are different. Women that are taking care of their home happen to be with their kids. They happen to be holding their children or pushing the stroller or walking with the child. So again, the considerations are different when it comes to women versus men. So when I train these women over the weekend... I realized not only are they training for themselves in self-defense, but there's this active consideration of how they defend their children's lives. So I actually started this self-defense scenario course. It's August 28th on fieldcraftsurvival.com about creating scenarios, proactive scenarios, and defending life uh, via scenarios or case studies of things that have happened before. So we're going to do scenarios where people are pushing carts, pushing strollers, holding children, not real children, obviously. But- the reason it's important in highlighting the women's course is they're not just responsible for themselves. They have a responsibility to their children. When I was a contractor for the CIA, I had a responsibility to the men and women that are protected. And so all the considerations I had were not just about defending my life, but defending others. So now take that idea, that concept, and transition that against taking care of people around you. It's not just about self-defense. It's about first aid. It's not just about first aid. It's about being a responsible citizen that's going to help the person who's broke down. It's going to help the person in distress. It's going to pay attention to the human being who's crying in the middle of a store and trying to understand what's taking place to reduce the risk to people around them, including yourself and to that person. So I felt a burden for all these years because I haven't been talking about this and I should have been talking about this. If you train, if you have a level of awareness and training, and even if you don't, You have responsibility to the citizens around you and taking care of them. What are some tactics? Let's talk about some tactics. I read a story once about an accident that took place in Raleigh, North Carolina, where good Samaritans had gotten out of their cars when witnessing an accident and were trying to render aid to a couple who was in a horrible accident. I can't remember the exact numbers, but I want to say it was seven. Seven good Samaritans helping a person, a couple that was in distress, and a drunk driver not paying attention, at full speed, collided with those good Samaritans and killed them all. Killed them all. Another story, just to highlight the points, a man witnessed a car accident on a highway in the other lane of traffic and decided to render aid. He parked his vehicle with his wife on the side of the highway, got out of it, ran across his lanes of highway, and jumped the barricade to cross over into the other side of the highway and didn't realize he was on a hidden overpass where there was a gap and there was a 30-foot drop below him. He fell on his head and he died, tragically trying to render aid and help others. so Let's talk about some tactics here. The first thing I think about when coming onto the scene of an accident, whether it's an accident or even rendering aid or help to somebody, a good example is a, a woman in the rain. I saw her in Arizona. She was riding in a wheelchair, and I could tell she was uh, paraplegic by the position of her body. And it was pouring down rain on her, so I pulled over my vehicle and ran after her, and pulled an army Gore-Tex jacket that I kept in my vehicle, and I cloaked her in it. I scared the crap out of her. I'm sorry if you're listening to this, and wrapped her around in it, and then and then left in a pouring rain rainstorm, so she can get home to her destination. And not be completely soaked. When I did so, I thought about a few things. One, where am I gonna pull over? If I pull over, am I going to be safe? Not just for me, but the people that are in my vehicle. When you pull over behind somebody in an accident, for example, and you're not paying attention, it's because most people are in, impacting people who stop or are in accidents because they're not paying attention. Something takes their focus away whether it's their cell phone or the actual accident. It's a free-fall trick, right? When you're jumping in free-fall and your parachute deploys, well, you look at where you want to go. And if you look at an obstacle where you don't want to go, you'll just start drifting towards that obstacle because our bodies inherently want to maneuver or want to go where our eyes are taking us. So if you're driving 55 miles an hour down a highway and then you see an accident you're staring at it, you might be drifting your hands or your vehicle not even realizing it. And then the next thing you know, you have an accident. It's like that officer-involved accident where he's pulled over the side of the highway and then he's helping whatever and the car, his car gets hit and he you know, jumps out of the way or he, he saves a person by pulling them out of the way before they get hit because people don't pay attention. So you have to think tactically when you go in to help somebody. Am I at risk of potentially hurting somebody further, including myself, if I do it this way? In security and special operations, it's paramount. If we're in a gunfight and somebody gets injured, even catastrophically, where I need to help and render them aid, if I don't address the problem in front of me first, then I'll be a casualty. Then you'll have two people who are casualties, then other people are going to have to deal with us. So focus on the task at hand first. So if I'm pulling up a vehicle to help somebody, in this case, let's just call it an accident. I'm trying to get standoff. I want to pull the vehicle as far off the shoulder as possible to avoid getting hit. I carry a vest, a road guard vest in my vehicle. Why? Because if I'm helping somebody in an accident, I want that vest on me to allow people to know, hey, I'm somebody in some capacity that's helping and It might just be enough fluorescent indication to avoid collision. So as I come up, I'm pulling off the shoulder. In some cases, I've done this before, I've pulled in front of the accident and turned my car sideways. When my good buddy Walker Booth and his wife were tragically killed in an accident, I responded to that. I took my Jeep and parked it in the middle of the road about 100 meters away from the accident with my hazards on because if... It got impacted. It wouldn't affect us, so I had standoff. But it also created a barricade or obstacle to allow me to lay in the middle of the road, treating at this point a walker who was laying in the middle of the road in pain, in agony, fighting for his life. So you have to be tactful in how you approach this. I carry a Fieldcraft Mobility first aid pouch that's removable from the back of my seat. I also carry our visor pouches and panels that allow me to quick access first aid and remove it to render aid immediately instead of having to dig through pouches that are permanently adhered or a first aid kit that's in my trunk. When you need access for yourself, for your family, or for somebody, you need to be able to render render that aid quickly so you don't have to think about it. It's like drawing your pistol and then not keeping one in the chamber. When we draw your pistol, the last thing you're thinking about is putting one in the chamber. You should be thinking about orienting and aligning the sights and breaking the shots and defending your life. So when I go to reach for my kit, I don't think, where is my kit? Again, I want to build that muscle memory. So when you're on the scene, there's been this big stigma about people helping each other and rendering aid. This big stigma that if you help somebody, you're just going to get sued. Look, let's not even talk about all all that. Let's not even go down the rabbit hole that is all the legalities, depending on what state you live in, of whether or not you should be able to uh, render aid based on a suit. I have this thing in this standard in my head where I have this idea of could I live with it or could I live without it? Could I live with the fact that I didn't render aid and somebody tragically died knowing that I kind of did something about it? Am I willing to take that chance? Am I willing to drive by a school where I know an active shooter is killing kids? Am I willing to drive by an accident where I see somebody fighting for their lives? Am I willing to bypass the Samaritan who needs a good Samaritan to step in just to render some type of help? The answer is no, I'm not willing to take that chance. So am I willing to take the chance of being sued? Yes. That's the risk that you're willing to take versus not wanting to live with not doing something about it. So I want you to take the chance. I want you to take the risk, but I also want you to do it smartly. I want you to be trained in the appropriate things and understanding your strengths, your capabilities, and your weaknesses, and your incapabilities. If you're not capable, then you don't need to be doing something if you're not capable. Let me give you an example. Applying a tourniquet. If you sever a femoral artery in a vehicle accident and you're bleeding out and you're dying and you need to apply a tourniquet to yourself and you have a tourniquet but you don't know how to use that tourniquet, how is that gonna make you feel? Well, one, you just simply pass out and you would expire. But imagine if I take that scenario and I put it on your family. Let's say your child or your spouse is bleeding, and you have a tourniquet, but you can't render the aid because you don't know how to use it. So take that mindset. You know, I don't mean to sound gory in that mindset, but take that mindset and apply that to the way that you look at your training with the specific equipment that you have. So you have the ability, which means the physical abilities and the aptitude to, to render aid, buy the equipment and learn the training. And so if you have the abilities when you come on the scene because you're addressing specific things, then do that. Then create an understanding of all the things that you're good at and all the things that you're not. And start taking the have-nots and making them the haves. Make them capabilities and assets. Because the detriment to you and those around you, you can never take back. You can never take back those moments. When I was rendering aid to Walker Booth, I was trying to save his life. And I knew he was bleeding inside, but I didn't know how to stop it besides manual pressure. I actually wrapped a tourniquet around his leg. And since I didn't have a second tourniquet, which is the last time that I ever not carried a second tourniquet, I took his belt off and I put it around his hips and I cinched down the belt because the thinking for me was if I can get some pressure on his hips, I potentially could save his life. He had a chest wound. He had an open chest wound, but it wasn't bleeding like in the movies. It wasn't bleeding like in training. And I put a hypalon chest seal on that wound, and his life came back to him for a brief moment because he caught his breath because he had a collapsed lung. And with the help of the paramedic, I decompressed his chest with a needle. Although we weren't able to save him, it identified a whole bunch of deficiencies in my understanding of how this works. And remember, in the hierarchy and the, all the things that we look at, of how we help people, we're not just talking about this specific worst case scenario. We're talking about many life skills that you just need to know. How to change a tire. How many people have you seen, including yourself maybe, on the side of the road waiting for AAA or the insurance company or the recovery company to come rescue somebody for a flat tire? Do you know where your tire's at, your spare? When's the last time you looked at it? If you have a vehicle like a Land Cruiser, for example, There's a tool, a special tool that most people don't even have in their Land Cruisers that you insert in the back of the vehicle and wind down your spare tire carrier to get access to it. When's the last time you've done that? Do you know how to fix a flat? How I described it in my class with the women was looking at understanding the diagnostic of things or the mechanical process of things. I advocate for you to understand how you how your brain works and your body works under stress. Because that physiological profile and understanding it will make you better prepared in identifying the symptoms, the evidence of things before they happen so that you have some semblance of control. Without it, you're taking a wild guess. And in assumptions like many people have, often we fail. So take this analogy. You're driving down the road and you see smoke coming up from underneath the hood. So you continue to drive because you say, oh, well, I only have five miles to get back home. I don't want to walk. And you continue to drive. And then all of a sudden you hear a pop and then the car stops rolling and you pull off the side of the road and your engine's blown. You blew a head gasket. So now let's take that back and understand the diagnostics and the mechanics of things. So you're driving and see, you see smoke. But is it smoke? You pull over to the side of the road and you lift the hood immediately and you realize it's not smoke, it's steam. You look inside of the reservoir for the coolant and you see there's no coolant in the reservoir. You've seen this before. You let the vehicle cool down and you get coolant that you keep in the back of your vehicle because this has happened before. You remove the radiator cap after it's cooled down because removing a radiator cap from the radiator when it's heated up, especially when it's steaming, could be very dangerous. You also know that you can't remove the radiator cap without a rag or without protective equipment. So you don a glove and a rag, you turn your head away and you open it slowly and you refill the coolant in the reservoir and in the radiator and you let it set. You turn the key forward, you let the odometer light up, which gives you an indication of the the temperature of the engine inside of the bay. And you see that it's at a moderate temperature, meaning it's not at risk of overheating. You start it back up, you let it run for a minute, and then you're on your way. When you understand the mechanical processes and are able to diagnose things, you could prevent things from catastrophically going wrong. In, the, in this case, an overheated vehicle, an engine in this case, that blows a head gasket, which is common in my Land Cruiser. So I have to know how to deal with these things. Do you know how to deal with these things? And when in looking in your own head space, your brain, do you have absences? of misunderstanding, voids of information and education? And are you replacing that with paranoia and anxiety? I always love this, love this idea that people who are preppers or better prepared or who look at this are somehow paranoid. It's the complete opposite of that. Because when you take paranoia, which is us creating fear with emotion, when we don't understand something and you replace that with knowledge, with tactics, with understanding, you're not paranoid. In fact, you're prepared. So when you start to feel certain things because you understand the psychology and physiological profile of you operating under stress because you train, you do the research, you pay attention and introspect and are more self-aware, then you could start mitigating things before they catastrophically go wrong. Paying attention is all I'm talking about here, guys and gals. Want to be better prepared? Take care of yourself. Take care of your family. Take care of your community. And take care of the citizens and people around you. I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. August 28th, I'll be training. When you hear this, you might even hear it in time to sign up for my July 3rd class in Spanish Fork. I have a pistol class. It is a beginner level course, guys. It's not for the intermediate or advanced. It's beginner level. Check us out at philcraftservival.com, all the things that, are, that we got going on. I'm excited about this world that is preparedness and all the things that we have in the near future, including learning online at weedtheprepared.com and focusing on being a responsible citizen. Until next time.